name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We first became Orthodox, and I think then the parish mentioned it before. One of the first things I <coughs> noticed was that that caught my attention about being Orthodox was that the church required us to use leavened bread in communion. Uh, and I had studied Judaism back in the 70s for three years, and I knew that the, the Mass itself was borrowed at least in part from the, from the Jewish Passover service, which would have required unleavened and of course, I came out of the Episcopal Church where they used unleavened bread, and the Catholic Church used unleavened bread. And so the first thing I thought of, I remember thinking this, even after becoming Orthodox, was I've got it. Once this perfect church has a flaw, and I found it, because my ego was soaring, you know, of course. I had all the evidence in my mind to support my, my thesis. So I thought, well, I'd just dig into it just to make sure I had the evidence to support my position. So I looked at the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Last Supper, the Gospel accounts. And guess what? The word that's used there, even though it's very clear it's a Passover meal, is leavened bread. Ordinary bread. I couldn't believe it. I thought, well, that's the, that's the writers of the Gospels. I'm going to go to St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 and see what he says. Because he does it, and he looks at the Eucharistic celebration in his freestanding liturgical context. Looked at there, and lo and behold, he uses the word for leavened bread. So I thought, well, I'll go outside the scriptures to the tradition of the church, maybe, or at least historically. So I went to the expert on the Gregorian rite, Adrian Fortescue, who was a Roman Catholic priest from the 19th century. We still read his works and we're studying the Gregorian Mass. And Adrian Fortescue reluctantly, even almost regretfully, had to admit that. It, at least for most of the first millennium of Christianity, the whole undivided church used leavened bread in communion. But even Fortescue won't support my thesis. And I later did some other research, and this subject kept coming up, and I found out that most of us don't know this, but when the circumstances occurred that led to the breaking of communion between East and West in 1054, what we call the Great Schism. We think of the, the subject matter that led to that, and there were two main issues, papal superiority, Roman papal superiority, and the addition of the Filioque Clause to the Nicene Creed. But there were a couple other uh, circumstances, and one of them was the use of leavened bread by some churches in the Western Church, or unleavened bread. Use of unleavened bread by some churches in the Western Church. And in the East, they said, that's never been allowed. Why are you doing it now? We don't even know that that was an issue. So here I was, Mr. Proud. I had this church. I had a nail, by golly. And they weren't so right after all. So my logic was better than the church's. That's what I was thinking. Well, I was proven wrong. God is merciful. He takes idiots like me, and he, he very kindly straightens it out. Uh, so be forewarned. When you start digging too deeply, might be disappointed at what you find, or surprisingly enlightened. Well, in the Gospel account today, we hear of a lawyer who, who challenges Christ. 
And, and by lawyer, don't think lawyer like we think lawyer. Today, a lawyer is an expert in, in secular law. But in that time, the lawyer was an expert in biblical law. So even to use the word lawyer today is almost a misnomer. But he was an expert in biblical law. He knew the scriptures really well. And so when he approached Christ, he asked a question. But he wasn't questioning to find out. He was questioning the challenge, which the text makes clear to us. It said he went to him and asked him the question to tempt him, tempting him. What does that mean? Tempting him to say something that the lawyer could then say, you're wrong and here's the evidence. So he didn't really want the answer. Well, he got an answer he didn't expect. And then it says, but he wishing to justify himself. See, that's why I went to look at all these other sources. I was trying to justify myself. That one proved my position was better. I knew more. Well, this brings us to the whole issue of questioning God. Because throughout our lives and throughout our Christian journeys, we will have opportunities in which we will want to challenge God and his church over what's going on or what he do, what's he doing. And it's okay. I hear two responses from people. That is, some people, well, I won't accept this until I can understand it. That's what Thomas said about the resurrection, remember? I won't believe it until I can touch it. So I can see with my own eyes, and Jesus said, Blessed are those who will see and who do not see and believe. Nonetheless, he didn't condemn Thomas. He, he let him touch him. So, so some people say in Christian circles, we can never question because that's a lack of faith. And some people say, I'm not moving on until I understand. Or I'm not going to move on, basically, for some of us, it's I'm not going to move on until I and I'm not going to move on even if I do understand. So we can question this good question and, and wrong question. So let's don't get the notion that somehow just questioning or seeking to understand is somehow evil or bad. It isn't. But we have to be prepared when dealing with God for what answers we're going to get. Because they won't be what we think they are if they're really from God. So we can question. In the Christian life, we enter into relationship with God. Uh, and an aspect of that relationship is the freedom to question, to ask, to seek. You know, God in his mercy, let me challenge him and let me seek answers and then gave them to me. And he put up with me. I remember one time in my life when I didn't understand what God was doing in my life. And I finally said, get out of my life. This is what it means to be a Christian. I don't want anything to do with it. And I actually thought, I'm finished now. Uh, but God in his mercy waited. It was almost as if people were saying, are you through? <laughs> are you finished now? Come on. Follow me. Well, here I am. So you can see what decision I have to be to. Uh, so in any case, he doesn't, he doesn't object to us questioning him. But the question has to be in order to seek to understand him, to be drawn more deeply into the mystery of who he is. Not to challenge it so that it fits our preconceived notions. Our preconceived notions about deity constitute the essence of idolatry. Not one of us in this room would claim to be an idol worshiper, and yet one of the things we struggle with is we want God to be the way we think God ought to be. And that's what idol worship is. That's what idols are. God created in our own image. We want him our way. It doesn't work that way. So it's okay to say, I want to understand, so, so that when he does something that's really seemingly strange to us, 
It's okay to say, I don't want to know what's going on here. Help me so I can cooperate with you. That's okay. But by God, I'm not moving forward until, or I'm not moving forward, period. St. Augustine said to us, we don't understand in order to believe. We believe in order to understand. How true, how profound, how simple, and yet how true it is. So I, I leave you with just four points. How to question God correctly. One, and there's, a, there's really an interesting dynamic to these four points. One is be willing to accept what has been revealed. This is, and there's an element of faith, maybe. Even if you're actually convinced that what we offer you or what, what the Christian faith or the Orthodox Church offers you is absolutely right, <laughs> we still have to challenge this. How do we know? These are people who gave us this, sinners like you and me, and they would be the first ones to admit it. How do we know? How can we trust that? This whole church has been filled with sinners for centuries, and we see them all the time, and we're disappointed all the time. How can we know this is from God? Well, we have to take a leap of faith. We have to accept that's where we start. Regardless, I believe, be willing to accept what has been revealed. It's sort of the starting point. Either we believe this is what God has revealed or we don't. It's that simple, but there's some risk. You know, one Roman Catholic theologian who deals with this kind of subject matter, the illogical nature of American society, says it's very interesting how our young people go off to college and seem to lose their faith, or at least seem to challenge the church, um, the church's authority. They seem to challenge the church's authority based upon the authority of their professors. Well, take that a step further. We want to question God based on our, God's authority based upon our own authority. Well, I don't know about you, but who am I? I've already been proven to be a fool in so many different ways. So how am I going to challenge God? So if my question has to be to understand and not to say, somehow fit him into my model, mine doesn't work. So we have to be willing to accept what has been revealed. It's a risk, a big risk. Remember that, I told some of you in one of the classes that, that age old story about the guy who was looking for the pathway to God, and when he finally found, or looking for a monk who knew the pathway to God, he said, Show me the pathway to God. The monk said, Pathways lead, are things that lead to places here on earth. God is a great yawning abyss. Jump. That's what we have to do. It's that simple. Be willing to accept what has been revealed. That's pretty broad in orthodoxy. It's a lot goes with that. But it's all right. <clears throat> and it's all right. Second one, then seek to understand. I, I encourage people to seek to understand. What do we, what do we say in the faith? We say, what are one of the disciplines of the faith but regular spiritual reading? Why? So we'll understand. You know, God made us to comprehend him to see and understand him. And we want that. And so we want to understand so we can be able to comprehend that. And when we do, we begin to fulfill our nature as human beings. You know, wisdom, we hear wisdom all the time, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And we think that means getting wise. No, it means to understand God, to comprehend him. And wisdom is what God reveals about himself and what we are capable of receiving and understanding about him. And the two together comprehend, 
comprised wisdom. So it's creation and the immaterial matter all together. God and his creation all in one. That's wisdom. And we want to participate in it. So secondly, then we seek to understand. So it's okay. God wants us to understand, which means then he welcomes us questioning as long as our purpose is to follow more deeply. And then thirdly, allowing our perception of reality to be altered. We have to begin to see differently. We, you know, if the story that we tell about the fall is correct, and I think the evidence is in the daily news, uh, I'm not the first one to say that, by the way, uh, so I'll borrow that, but we can look around and see the world has got problems. Human, human beings have issues, have problems. Everybody has issues. We all have baggage. Why is that? Because something has happened in the progress of humanity and creation that has made us wrongly oriented, not toward God, but toward other things. And so we have to allow, as we come to God, to allow our perceptions of reality to be altered. Remember, some of you may remember when I came here couple years ago and filled in for Father Mark one Sunday and what I told you was that so I say it again it's a repetition for some of you who may have been here that when a young priest comes into a church to have to serve like I did that Sunday he tends to want to stand out there somewhere and look up here at the space and figure out how he's going to do the service just by looking from out there but what I learned over here is it's one of the things you have to do is walk around and step up here, turn around and look this way. The whole thing looks entirely different. And coming to God is like that. We have to come up here and then we have to turn around and look. It's all different. God's view of the world and creation is all different. So we have to allow our perspectives to be altered. So when we question, we have to have that allowance built into it. I'm going to have to accept Leavened bread. Because those who've gone before me found out from God that that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to believe it, that it's right. By, by the way, the Orthodox Church, if we get caught not using it, we're in trouble. I, I'm in enough trouble as it is without having to worry about that kind of stuff. And the fourth one is begin to see from God's perspective. And you can see how they're all woven together. It's all one thing. So be willing to question what has been revealed, then seek to understand, allow perceptions of reality to be altered, and begin to see from God's perspective. Now, you can actually summarize those four points in four words, which, sum up, which themselves sum up the Orthodox journey. Be willing to accept what has been revealed. It means to turn around and see what God has done. Turn around, in, in Hebrew, it means repentance. We turn around from looking out at the world and understanding from the world's perspective, turning to God and let him show us. We start with repentance. Jesus' first words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then seek to understand. We call this illumination in the church. So repentance, illumination, beginning to be the light of God, the life of God shining through us and outwardly. Thirdly, Allowing our perception of reality to be altered. This is called regeneration. I like to use the word retooling, but regeneration is more accurate because our whole being begins to be changed. Regeneration. 
And lastly, beginning to see from God's perspective, the essence of Orthodox spirituality, theoria, the vision of God. That's where we want to go. So there are four simple steps for how to question God properly, and yet they take us on the journey into the very being of God. You aren't, you aren't going to find this in its entirety anywhere else. And it will come only from the group of people who have said, use leavened bread. You're, you're never going to hear the word leaven and leaven again without thinking about this. There's a method to the madness up here with clergy. You know, we ruin you. Just, we're, we're taking out our frustration. God has ruined us, and so we're taking it out with you. We're going to ruin you too. We're not going down the <laughs> In any case, remember something. Don't be afraid to question God. Just check your own motives. Because He wants us to understand. He wants us to understand. And when we do, we'll never be the same. And He wants that too. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.